to welcome up to the podium Jay Bennett. Come on down. Uh, Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for Jay's willingness to come and speak. I just pray that you give him boldness and confidence to speak your word and that we apply your word to our lives. I just thank you for his friendship. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Today I will be discussing the Kalam cosmological argument. Now, I was up here a couple months ago talking about the moral argument. That's more to appeal to your conscience. This should appeal more more to your mind, although they both can do both. So, let's get into it. Okay. Basically, I got all my information for this subject from this man here named William Lane Craig. Now, okay, he... Okay, Craig made this argument popular in the Western world. Now, the, the strange name, the Kalam Cosmological Argument, Craig gave it that name. And see, it comes from the Arabic for medieval theology. Because it was, it was a Muslim scholar that first came up with this form of a cosmological argument. And from what I understand, basically, he was trying to rebut the ancient Greek thinking that the universe was eternally existent, that the universe itself was never created. So, let's get into it. Okay. Premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Now, I need to make an important distinction here. It begins to exist, not exist at all. Because this would, of course, exclude God. Because God, in fact, never began to exist. So that's an important distinction. Okay. Now, premise two is the universe began to exist. So the conclusion follows, therefore, the universe had a cause. Okay. Now, I suppose I should point out that I'm not going to speak to when it was created, just the fact that it was created, because that's a completely different subject. And I'm also not gonna, going to talk about how the universe is designed, because that's another argument commonly known as the teleological argument. So the scope for what I'm talking about today is that the universe began to exist. Okay. Now, the idea that the universe existed forever is called the steady state model. And almost no one believes in it anymore. But even up until maybe 100 years ago, many scientists believed in that, that the universe was past eternal. But... Let's see why that can't be. Okay. Now imagine somebody, they, they tell you that they have counted down from negative infinity to zero. They just arrived there. Negative two, negative one, zero. Wow, I'm done. But how would this be possible? 
because before he counted negative one, he had to count negative two. Before he had to count negative two, negative three, and so on into infinity. So the idea is that an actual infinite can't exist. You can't actually have an infinity by adding one number to another to another because it will go on forever. Now, this is an illustration that Craig uses in his lectures. It's called Hilbert's Hotel. It was invented by a German mathematician named David Hilbert. And it goes like this. Imagine there's a hotel with an infinite amount of rooms. And there's a guest in every single room. But someone shows up at the front desk wanting a room. No problem, (laughs) says the manager. He moves the guest from room one to room two, room two to, to room three, three to four, so on, out to infinity. As a result, room one becomes vacant and the new guest is accommodated. Now imagine an infinite amount of guests showed up wanting a room. No problem, says the manager. And he'll move every guest to the room twice its number. Room one to room two, two to four, uh, three to six, and so on. And because every number multiplied by two is an even number, every odd number room is now vacant and the new guests are accommodated. Now, the thing about this is, is the manager could do that an infinite amount of times. Okay. So, whenever Craig gets done giving this story, he'll, he'll always make this little joke that one of my students says that if Hilbert's Hotel were a real hotel, it should have a sign out front that says, no vacancy, guests welcome. <laughs> so, so, Really, the point is, is that actual infinites can't exist. So there is no way that we could arrive today with an infinite amount of days preceding it. It had to have an actual start in real time. Now, another way to look at this is through the scientific law of, uh, or the second law of uh, thermodynamics. Basically, it states that everything tends towards disorder. And eventually, the universe will run out of heat and suffer what they call a heat death. Now, if that would happen in a finite amount of time, it would have already happened if an infinite amount of time has already passed. But here we are. We are not in heat death. So it follows that we have not had infinite time before this very moment. Okay, so the cause of the universe, okay, we've established here that the universe has a cause, that it is not past eternal. So, okay, according to our second premise, the universe has a cause. Okay, now we've got to figure out what the cause must be. The cause itself must be uncaused. Because nothing can cause the first cause. Because there has to be what's basically, you can't have what you call an infinite regress. There has to be a starting point. 
So, so let's move on to spaceless. Okay. So when the universe uh, came into existence, space was created. There was no space before. So whatever caused it can't be made of space. So it must come from outside of space itself. And it's timeless. Because when the universe was created, time also came into existence. So the cause for the universe is not inside of time. It's outside of time. It's also immaterial because the universe created material. So whatever caused that can't be material itself. It has to be immaterial. And obviously, it must be powerful to create the entire universe out of nothing. You have to be immensely powerful. And also had to be unbelievably intelligent. And then lastly, it must be personal, because this cause, which, well, this cause is God, okay, chose to to create. There are, you know, forces, like the force of gravity exists, but it does the same thing all the time. It's not personal. But the cause of the universe has to be personal because chose to create. So when you add all these together, it's uncaused, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, and personal. This cause must exist. Okay. So now let's open our Bibles. Let's turn to Job Chapter 38. It's titled, The Lord Answers Job. It says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Now this goes on for about four chapters. But what's really what really sticks out here is where were you? As God was there. God created everything. We didn't. He's in charge. We are not. But this is this is this very interesting passage because God actually is questioning a man and he very quickly realizes he has no rebuttal. And so but it really it, it goes on like this and he asks many, many questions and I've I've heard from Christian scientists that God asks over a hundred questions and they've solved less than half. It's it's really amazing. But if we can skip ahead to be in Job chapter 40, starting at verse 15. It says, Behold Behemoth which I have made as I have made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. 
He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident through Jordan rushes against the mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas for you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? And so, really what God's doing here is he's continuing to put Job in his place. He's pointing at these creations, these two massive, frightening animals, behemoth and leviathan. And God says, basically, these guys are scary. Just imagine me. Because I'm the one that made them. I, I'm the one that deserves the glory. And so, really, a very, very fascinating chapter, or passage, several chapters of the Bible. But very, very um, interesting to dig into. So, let's move on to uh, Psalm 19, verse 1. verse 1 the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork again this is another passage that shows God's creation reflecting his glory and it, it really does if you look into the sky on a clear night the heavens declare the glory of God and to think when this was written I mean you could only see what you could see with your eye. And we know now that space goes way, way further than anyone ever could have imagined. It's even more glorious than David writing here would have actually known. So let's now let's look at Genesis one, twenty six and twenty seven. We're gonna see kind of the flip side. Of that here. Okay. Starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now this is, I think, an important dichotomy. So we've established that, as Psalm 19.1 says, that the heavens declare the glory of God. And you can look at the heavens and you can be inspired by it and feel like you're nothing. What am I compared to this glorious creation? But in all actuality, you're more important because God did not create the universe in his image. He created you in his image. That's, that's something we probably don't think about a lot. And it's, this is one of the most important, well, it's all important, but what the rest of the Bible is built on and really what civilization is built on is these verses right here that we are all made in the image of God. It just completely changes how we look at each other. Because we are truly set apart from everything else. Now let's, let's jump to the Old Testament, or the New Testament, I'm sorry. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. Starting at verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So this shows that Jesus is the Creator. Now, when I was up here last fall, I talked about Jesus in the Old Testament. And I wanted to make this distinction, but I forgot to do it. So, what that is, is that Jesus has two natures. He has the divine nature and a human nature. And that's that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. A lot of, even... Bible-believing Christians have a hard time wrapping their head around that. And if you, some, like if you ask some people about Jesus, they might think that he came into existence when he was conceived and became a man. But that was his human nature. He had the divine nature, as we read right here. In the beginning, he was there. He's called the Word here, which is... Uh, comes from the Greek word logos, which is speech or really divine logic might be a better translation. And so, anyway, so God is, or Jesus is divine, but he takes on a human nature for a period of time. And as we see, by him all was made that was made. Now, I want to skip down to uh, verse 14. It said, The Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God, the Word, became a man and dwelt among us. He's the creator. He comes from outside his own creation and enters into it becomes flesh, which is amazing. I've, I've heard some people say, well, okay, well, creation is the greatest miracle, and you tend to agree with that. But I've also heard it said that the incarnation was the greatest miracle because the omnipotent God became a man and was contained by a human body, which is amazing. And so, which is important because Jesus has to be fully man and fully God. Because he has to be uh, fully God so he could be the sinless sacrifice. And he has to be fully man because he has to take man's sin upon him. He's the only person that could have uh, been an adequate sacrifice for the sins of the world. So, I'll look at a, a past. Well, there are several passages you could use to where Jesus talks about his divine nature. Like one that comes to mind is when he's talking. With, I believe it's with some Pharisees, and he's and uh, he talks about seeing Abraham, and they say, "Well, you're not even fifty years old. You mean you saw Abraham? You know, because Abraham would have." been approximately 2,000 years before. And then Jesus answers with, before Abraham was, I am. You know, I am. That goes all the way back to Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 3, when God talks to Moses out of the bush, and Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am sent you. So that's that's one example of Jesus uh, appealing to his uh, divine nature, but I've chosen uh, Matthew twenty-two, uh, forty-one through forty-six. <clears throat> and then the the heading there is, is uh, "Whose son is the Christ?" Now, Jesus is going to make an Old Testament quote here. And it is Psalm 110. So that's that's the quote here. But, okay, starting in verse 41. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is it that he is his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. That's... I can kind of see why. <laughs> no one dared to ask him any more questions. But see, the, the Pharisees, they, they didn't understand this either. 
they were just, they were just looking at the human nature because they say he's a son of David. He is. He's from the line of David as to his human nature. But he also has a divine nature. That's that's how. I mean, because Jesus asked the question here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I'll put your enemies under your feet. He does say, why is he calling his son Lord? But it's because he's referring to his divine nature and not his uh, human nature. So, in summary, I hope that you've been able to, or that you will be able to use this if people come against you saying, oh, God didn't create the universe. You know, it was a particle exploded and created everything. Well, you can you can try this on them. I mean, I don't I don't know if it will convince them, but it will make them have to think. So so I've given you uh, this argument and the moral argument. So, that's really two different ways you can use to defend your faith. Like I said, this, this is more to the mind. The, the, the moral argument is more to the conscience. But they both really appeal to both. So, if you want uh, more information on the Kalam cosmological argument, all you have to do is go to YouTube and type that up, and uh, you'll get a bunch of uh, videos by William Lane Craig. And... Really, this is just scratching the surface. I mean, Craig can go on and on and on and go a lot deeper and go down, well, I guess you'd call them rabbit trails. But he, it's really interesting stuff. So, thank you very much.